Welcome to episode 102 of the first 40 miles. If you're new to backpacking, or if you're hopelessly in love with someone who wants you to love backpacking, then this podcast is for you. We'll talk about the essentials, how to lighten your load, and how to make the most of your time on the trail. I'm your host, Heather Legler. And I'm Josh Legler. And this is The First 40 Miles. Today on The First 40 Miles, there is power in sharing stories, and we'll tell you why your stories are so important. Then on the Summit Gear Review, a super simple water filter that uses very long and impressive words to keep you safe on the trail. On today's Backpack Hack of the Week, Happy Halloween! Now let's get on to Christmas. And we'll share our experience with Rainy Pass Repair and a zipper repair that was beyond our skill level. All this, and that's about it, today on the first 40 miles. On episode 100, we announced a new opportunity for our first 40 milers, and that is the opportunity for each of you to share your stories. And this is inspired by experiences that we've had through doing the podcast. We've just loved hearing the stories that people have shared with us, you know, in written form over Facebook and Twitter. And then we've had a few chances to get with people and get their stories in audio form. And it's just been amazing. Even before we invited the first 40 milers to share their stories with us, I went and collected some stories while I was at the Outdoor Retailer Show. And I asked the people that I talked to two questions. What was your most recent backpacking experience? And what made it so memorable? These were authentic stories of the trail, and they were overpoweringly inspiring. And I think collecting backpacking stories is so powerful, because if all you're hearing about backpacking is in the stories of bravery and defying the odds in the back of Backpacker magazine, then you're missing some of the best stories out there, and those are the relatable ones. One of our listeners, Alina, decided to make an audio journal on her first backpacking trip. She left Brooklyn, New York with all of her gear and headed out on the trail. Here's her story. So today is August 19th, 2016. I left my home in Brooklyn around 8.30 this morning. I had so many dreams about coming out here today. Uh, I've been listening to 10,000 podcasts all about camping and hiking and backpacking. And today I finally took all the Greek gear that I purchased and went by myself. I was super nervous to go out by myself. I've never camped. I've never slept outside. And I have never actually even gone hiking by myself. I needed to do this for myself, so I figured I had to go by myself, and uh, here I am. It's around 12.30 in the afternoon. I came in and started the trail with some people, and um, they went off on a different trail. I'm on the red trail at Harriman State Park, and as soon as we separated, I saw a deer, this beautiful young buck who was just yards away from me, just hanging out, eating, looking at me, but not scared, just existing in the same place. And I 
started crying. <laughs> I'm going to check back in when I sit down for lunch because I want to record all of my thoughts and feelings throughout the trail, especially when I wake up in the morning and see how it went. Okay. I am going to try and make it up to the Tom Jones shelter. I apparently passed a shelter before that, and I don't know how that's possible that I missed it. And hopefully I'll get there around 6 or 7 latest, set up camp, and chill out. I'm gonna camp. The weather's nice. I have enough layers. I'm good. Alright, over and out. So I never did finish what happened at the end of my camping escapade. It's a couple of days later. I got a little wrapped up in the rest of life. So when I finally made it to the Tom Jones shelter, I saw that there were a ton of um, these 18, 19 year old boys that were camping out there with a group, uh, with a group leader. And I decided not to camp there. But as I was figuring out a place to actually set up camp, I realized I'm running out of water and then I did run out of water. So uh, the group leader had mentioned that they were going down to the lake, Lake Scananto. And um, I took out a compass and followed them south, both by compass and by ear they were that loud and um after that i when i made it down to the lake i filled up my water bottles uh filtered some water it was amazing and the people that i met there were um they're just camper campers they're no backpacking they're really stunned that i managed to fit everything into my backpack so i got to a little alcove they suggested and set up camp and it was amazing it was right on the water the water had these little fish in it who were really curious and trying to figure out whether or not I was food. And it was beautiful. The water was lukewarm and I was perfectly alone. <laughs> it was remarkable. Well, we want to thank Alina for sharing her story. And for those of you out there who may be reluctant to share, we have the top five benefits of sharing your backpacking story. And the number one benefit of sharing your backpacking story is that sharing your story can compel you or others to act. I think you can listen all day to experts telling you how to prepare for a backpacking trip. And I don't know if that would be nearly as helpful as Alina's story that we just listened to. For anyone who hasn't been on their first backpacking trip yet, they can totally relate to Alina and understand how she, um, how she faced those first-timer experiences of filtering water for the first time, or sleeping out in the woods for the first time, even hiking for the first time, really. That's so relatable, and it just paints the picture in such a way that someone who's never been backpacking, all of a sudden now they can envision themselves taking that same trip and doing those same things for the first time and coming back and having a story to tell. And I can't emphasize this enough, that it doesn't have to be an incredible, jaw-dropping story I really do believe the simpler the better. You know, Josh and I have been on some backpacking trips now, and I don't know if our listeners have caught on to this, but the stories aren't that exciting. <laughs> really, really simple, really basic. I mean, there's nothing complex about backpacking, and the stories that we tell are very simple. And yet those stories 
have inspired so many people to take their first backpacking trip. The number two benefit of sharing your backpacking story is that stories teach indirectly. So on the first 40 miles, we could say, always bring your rain gear. But really, what's more effective is when we have a story that teaches that principle without us having to directly say, always bring your rain gear. I think everyone who's heard my story has a visual image in their mind of this girl with a backpack who's wearing a garbage bag as kind of a makeshift rain jacket, and then some Tyvek wrapped around her waist. One reason that's so powerful is because stories have the ability to teach something deeper than just that one message. So if we say, always bring your rain gear, we've really just said one thing. But when we share a story about how we were hiking over Gnarl Ridge on Mount Hood, and we all stopped because we saw the rain coming, and we all got our rain gear out, except Heather, who was just standing there with no rain gear. <laughs> and then we go on with the story and talk about how one of the guys in our group had that Tyvek sheet, and another guy had that plastic garbage bag, and share the rest of the experience of hiking across Gnarl Ridge with the wind blowing and the rain coming sideways, and how we got through that experience. Well, that story teaches the idea that you should always bring rain gear, but it teaches so much more. The number three benefit of sharing your backpacking story is that stories connect us as a tribe. Your story, once you share it, becomes our collective story. Sharing stories reminds us of why we all go backpacking or why we want to go backpacking. In fact, I think about our tribe frequently when we hit the trail, and I wonder if I've ever encountered one of the first 40 milers on the trail. I kind of, you know, look to see, oh, do they look like someone who might listen to a podcast, or do they look like their first-time hikers or backpackers? I think about our tribe often, and the more often we share our stories with each other, the closer our tribe becomes. The number four benefit of sharing your story is that it can be therapeutic and, in fact, revealing. Just the exercise of sharing your story may help you to realize or recognize things that you didn't even notice when you were experiencing the story. But in the retelling of the story, all of a sudden you, you recognize some detail that you never noticed before, or you learn something from your own retelling of your own story. As you share your story, you may say things that you didn't even realize had that much of an impact on you until the words start tumbling out, sometimes catching your throat on the way out. I think Alina had this experience as she was sharing about seeing that young buck for the first time. It was just such an overpowering, beautiful experience for her. The number five benefit of sharing your backpacking story is that your story is part of a larger story. Each of us sharing our story paints a canvas using a thousand tiny dots of color, and we all contribute. I liken this to when I'm researching a topic on the internet. I'll go to a dozen sites just to get the full picture of what people are saying about a topic. Even for recipes, I want to hear and see the nuances of what people think is important, where the pitfalls were, or what steps I can leave out. So each of us contributing this little dot of color to the canvas is contributing to the collective image or the collective culture of backpacking. So if you think that maybe your story isn't worth sharing, 
you know, it's not clever enough or it's not exciting enough. I want you to think again because your story is authentic, your story is inspiring, and your story is needed. And we just love the stories that we've been receiving over the last couple of weeks since we did episode 100. They're simple and yet so inspiring. So share your story at the first40miles.com slash story. For today's Summit Gear Review, we will be reviewing the Grail water filter. The Grail water filter works different from any other filter that we've used. There's no batteries, no chemicals, no pumping or sucking or squeezing or waiting. It is a very simple and ingenious design. It's a straight-sided 16-ounce water bottle that has an insert in it that fits perfectly inside, and that insert has a filter attached to the bottom. So for any automotive geeks out there, this is like a piston in a cylinder. You fill up the cylinder with water, and then you push the piston down into the cylinder, and now you've got filtered water inside the piston. Perfect. Thank you. That's what I was going to say, but I didn't quite know how to say it. That was perfect. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was actually going to say it uses technology like electroadsorption, activated carbon, and silver-treated zeolites. I mean, just in case people wanted to really understand. It also uses electroadhesion and ion exchange to trap the pathogens. So, I mean, does that give you a little bit better idea? Yeah, you've, you've oh, out-teched me. Well, <laughs> I try every day. <laughs> They're big words for sure. I mean, the, so the words that Grail uses, yeah, electroadsorption. That's hard to even say. Silver-treated zeolites, electroadhesion, ion exchange. I mean, obviously, a lot of thought and technology and tons of R&D has gone into the Grail water filter. I think a lot of time we take our water filter for granted. I mean, we just expect it's going to give us fresh-tasting, pure water. But there is so much technology that goes into it. It's, it's incredible. In fact, a few episodes ago, we were talking about, you know, how most water filters will filter out the bacteria and the protozoan cysts. But we're kind of seeing this new generation of water filters that are filtering out viruses, that are filtering out heavy metals, and that also will filter out chemicals like chlorine and benzene. It just, it seems like water filters have upped their game. And that's not completely necessary on the trail. It's more necessary in maybe a, like an urban survival, suburban survival situation. You know, preppers know all about that. Just the fact that our water filters that we take out with us can filter so much is really incredible. Well, this filter lasts for 300 uses or about 40 gallons, which is not a lot compared to some other filters that we've talked about, but I'm guessing it depends on the type of water that you're filtering. You know, the dirtier the water, the shorter lifespan your filter will have. For mass, the Grail water filter weighs 10.9 ounces, which is a little bit heavier than some of the other filters but you have to take into account that this can actually hold water also. So you can use it as a little water bottle. It doesn't have to just be your filter. The replaceable filter by itself weighs 2.8 ounces or 80 grams. For maintenance, an unopened filter can be stored for 10 years, just on your garage shelf. And then for maintenance of the actual filter, we like to take it all apart and store it completely dry. If you don't do that, 
I have no idea what kind of black stuff will grow inside. So just make sure that when you store it for the season or until your next backpacking trip, take it all apart and let it dry on the kitchen counter so you're not putting it away with some dampness or moisture in there. The Grail water filter costs $60, and that's the water bottle with the filter in it, so you're really buying a water bottle with a filter. And then to replace the filter costs $25. For trial, the one thing that we noticed about the Grail water filter is that it is fast. And we had the best experience with the Grail water filter when we partially screwed on the lid and use that to leverage our weight to push the piston into the cylinder. Into the cylinder. Good job. Thank you. We noticed that if we didn't have the lid on, then the piston <laughs> um, would really kind of cut into our hands. And with the lid on, that's great. But if the lid's screwed all the way down, then you've created an airtight piston. <laughs> and so you can't actually push it down because there's nowhere for the air to escape as the water comes in. So the solution is to just put the lid on a little bit, you know, just barely screw it on a little. And then you've got a better surface for your hand to push on so it's more comfortable, but the air can still get out as the water flows in. From my perspective, one of the big upsides of the Grail water filter is how it leverages your weight or your strength uh, to do the filtering. With the pump style filters, you're pumping your arms together. There's the squeeze style filters where you're squeezing your hand or your fingers. Uh, those are very small muscles in your hand. Gravity filters, of course, take time because you're not using any strength at all. But with the Grail filter, it was really easy to leverage your weight to push down on this filter. Uh, so you would set the water bottle on the ground and you'd be able to push down on it. And so essentially a lot of your body weight is pushing the filter down rather than actually using your muscles to uh, to do the filtering. Because sometimes you don't feel like using your muscles to filter water. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just, I, I think it's great to leverage the weight of your body. Oh, you know? brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. Now I would say the downside from my use of this water filter is that it's only a 16 ounce bottle. Uh, that's half the capacity of my typical Nalgene bottles that I carry. So maybe it makes sense to have this as a water filter plus bottle on one side of the pack and also have a full 32-ounce bottle on the other side of the pack. Oh, definitely. Yeah, we brought this Grail water filter on our last backpacking trip of the summer, so when we went out to the coast, and it was our primary water filter, and it was the fastest. I mean, it was 15 seconds of pushing for 16 ounces of water, and so you get a full water bottle in just 30 seconds. And that's even faster than our AsteriPen, which is 45 seconds per half liter, right? Right. When you're doing like six to 10 water bottles all at a time, it really speeds things up. Yeah, when we go backpacking with a family, we show up at the lakeshore or the stream with a dozen water bottles. So that starts to make a difference. And if you want to check out this water filter, we will have the link in the show notes. And Grail is spelled G-R-A-Y-L. It's the Grail water filter. And the show notes for today are thefirst40miles.com slash 102. All right, time for the backpack hack of the week. Heather, are you excited for Halloween? No, I'm done with Halloween. <laughs> it's not even here. I'm ready for Christmas. I'm one of those freaks that listens to Christmas music in September and... 
cannot get enough of it. I mean, I don't, I don't decorate our house all, you know, crazy, but I do love Christmas. I think it's a lot of fun. So happy Halloween, but guess what? It's Christmas. <laughs> so for today's backpack hack of the week, we have a Christmas decoration that you can take with you out on the trail. Josh, I'm going to give you three guesses for what that is. Christmas tree. Um, oh, there's the trail already has there's Christmas trees. a lot of Christmas tree, okay. trees. Good guess, though. Good Thanks. guess. A nutcracker. Well, we take nuts on the trail. We oh, do. They're, they're already, already pre-shelled. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But good, good idea. I mean, great idea, though. Um, Christmas lights. Yeah. How did you know? Did you read the show notes? Oh, whoops. <laughs> so if you go to the dollar store, you can find a really cheap set of Christmas tree lights. They're battery powered. They're guaranteed to last for about one backpacking trip, and then I think it's like a disposable item. But you can light your tent. They're cheap. They're lightweight. They're maybe disposable, maybe not. You probably take them on a few trips. And they're just a fun way to light up, especially during these shoulder season months where everything is so dark. You can bring a little bit of Christmas out with you <laughs> on the trail. Hey, that's great. I mean, Big Agnes uh, adds that feature for 50 bucks. Of course, they sew it into the tent and all that. But really, seriously, when you're backpacking in the wintertime, you've got so many hours of darkness. Plus, the weather's not always uh, amenable to spending a lot of time outside. And so in the wintertime, you're in your tent a lot. It's just the reality of a wintertime trip. And that headlamp can get really stark. You know, just that single beam coming down on you. We love using our Yuko Micro Candle Lantern, which we reviewed on a previous episode. That gives you that kind of warm glow. And this is another way to get that just more of an ambiance in your tent and something less harsh than just the direct beam of your headlamp. And if you're not going to use them in your tent, you can always hang them on the nearest tree. Christmas tree. <laughs> And there's one last thing that we want to share with our first 40 milers. Fall is a really great time to do repairs on gear. Lots of gear can be temporarily patched with duct tape, but some gear deserves a little more love and attention. We recently discovered Rainy Pass Repair. They're based out of Seattle. And you ship your gear to their facility and they will fix whatever is beyond your ability to repair. They also have laundry services, which include de-stinking, which sounds pretty awesome, down care, and they will also reapply DWR to your waterproof gear. But here's the part that I thought was really cool. They do gear modifications, so they can add pockets to your gear where there weren't pockets before. They can alter your clothing. They can put windows in your tent. They can do anything. So if I sent them one of our REI tents along with a Dollar Tree <laughs> Christmas lights, do you think they could uh, just stitch those in for me? <laughs> I can do that for you, Josh. I can take care of that for you. <laughs> okay. So if you have some of that outdoor innovator in you, but you don't have the industrial sewing machine, then you might want to check out Rainy Pass Repair. They're kind of like, kind of like the North Pole elves. Except instead of snow, it's all rain. <laughs> You're really into Christmas. I think so. Josh had a North Pole, I mean a North Face day pack <laughs> that he sent in. 
because the zipper was undone. And none of the DIY repair tricks that we tried worked. So this zipper was kind of beyond our ability to repair. So they notified us of how much it would cost in an email so we could decide if it was worth the repair. And they were kind enough to repair it for us. It's really a, I mean, you have to decide if something is even worth sending it in to be repaired. It's kind of that, that balance. If it's well-loved gear and you want to hold on to it for another 30 years, then it's definitely worth the repair. And we'll have the link to Rainy Pass Repair in the show notes as well. We'll leave you today with a little trail wisdom from our good friend on the trail, Ralph Waldo Emerson. He said, Nature is made to conspire with spirit to emancipate us. That's it for today. Thank you for listening. If you've been on a recent backpacking trip, share your story at thefirst40miles.com slash story. We'll see you next time on The First 40 Miles. Get on to Christmas. Now let's get on to Christmas. <laughs> and this is exp- expired. Expired. <laughs> like expired milk. <laughs> inspired. Oh, I like that much better. Inspired milk. Mm. Inspired milk. Wow. <laughs>